0: Hello and welcome to the Heat Check Podcast, the Miami Herald's Miami Heat Podcast. I'm David Wilson and I am joined, as always, on the other line by Anthony Chang, our Heat beat writer here at the Herald. Anthony, what's going on?
1: How much, David? How are you? I'm just, I'm just following this uh, Super League. Yeah. Uh, or uh, by, by the time this podcast comes out, there might not be any Super League, but it's pretty interesting the way this uh, league is unraveling before our eyes.
0: By the time this podcast comes out, the Super League will have been canceled for as long as it existed, basically, because uh, we're recording this Tuesday afternoon, uh, <laughs> I think Chelsea and Man City, is that who pulled out? Man U, maybe? Well, I don't Man know, two, City. A of,
1: yeah.
0: Man City. A couple of teams have officially pulled out, or reportedly are pulling out, uh, like literally 48 hours after I think it was announced, right? I think, was it a Sunday afternoon thing we found out about it? Um and yeah, so we're recording this like I said Tuesday afternoon. Obviously, this will come out Thursday morning. So yes, the the Super League will have been uh, deceased for as long as it lived. Uh, probably by the time a lot of people are listening to this, yeah. um, it was a good a good very, concept, but the, just yeah, poor execution. Great, um, <laughs> I, great, I great. I enjoyed every every second of its existence. It was great. <laughs> just a, a great sports story. We need more terrible like ideas like this more often than just. Um, clearly we're never going to work and, uh, everyone makes fun of them for 48 hours until they're roasted so mercilessly that they have to, uh, back out. Imagine if like the NBA worked like this, like if, if Kevin Durant signing with the Warriors, if there were like protests in the street of like cities, because people were like, oh, it's going to ruin the sport, which is basically what happened in Europe. Um, I can't imagine, uh, American sports responding the same way.
1: No, I mean, look at, look at the pressure the NBA was met with when they said they were going to start the season in December. Everyone was like, what? You just, the season just ended a month and a half ago and players were upset and nobody was happy about that. And it was obvious that it was, you know, money was one of the top priorities in doing that. Um, and they stuck to it. And here we are with, <laughs> with, uh, I, I can't believe it, but there's less than a month left in the regular season. And the playoffs are like four weeks away.
0: Uh, yeah, and it's been a weird week for the Heat. Um, every, we were just talking about this before, that, you know, last week we came on, um, kind of like we did, we're doing this week, we, just the way a recording schedule works, They've, these Wednesday games we don't really get to talk about. Um, we recorded last week, I think Wednesday afternoon, and then they, it was Wednesday the day they lost, which game was that again?
1: But Wednesday, they lost to Denver.
0: That was Denver, and then, yeah. so so we were talking, it was, they had, you know, they'd beaten Portland. It was kind of looking, I don't know, like, they had some, had a bad loss to...
1: They lost to Phoenix. Yeah, the they had a bad loss that to Phoenix, a
0: lost yeah. loss to Phoenix, but for the most part, they'd been playing well. Uh, so we recorded that, I think we were kind of mixed, like, blending optimism of, they were, had a, I think they had won, like, 6-7 or, mm-hmm. or something like that, with the uh, Victor depot injury, and then things really went off the rails, uh, over the weekend, with the loss to Denver, uh, terrible loss to Minnesota, and then of course um, the two episodes, the two most recent episodes or two most recent games before we recorded this episode are uh, the incredible win against Brooklyn and just an absolute beatdown of the Rockets on Monday night, uh, even with basically the whole roster missing. Um, so we kind of missed the doomsday. Uh, we we didn't get on the doomsday bandwagon that that most of the Heat internet. And most of the heat podcast sphere got to get on over the weekend. Uh, we're back to optimistic.
1: Yeah, it's. I feel like that's just the heat season in a nutshell, where you just yeah. have two really bad games every week, and then two really good games. <laughs> just like, just like you know, hovering around five hundred the, the entire season, pretty much. Um, it, it's yeah, it's like not terrible, I guess, but it's definitely not where the heat want to be, right? I mean, no. you're, you're in play in territory uh with again 14 games left i think you're a game behind six um they're really going to have to win most of their games down the stretch here to avoid that play in territory play in game um which you know they don't you know you don't want any part of that because uh, one game sample like that against any of those teams you'd face um not great so it, it, you know it's not where they want to be um they have a chance to get out of there and maybe get to the 6 or 5 seed you know Ideally the five seed or, or I think fours might be out of reach, but five you, you could face Atlanta in the first round and that's better than Milwaukee yeah. and face Milwaukee in the first round but um yeah it's uh just one of those seasons I feel like the last week was a good uh representation of of what it's been like where the worst loss of the season they come back and it's probably one of their highlight the highlights of their season with BAM's game winner against Brooklyn.
0: Should we uh, talk for the rest of this episode under the assumption they're going to have a terrible loss in San Antonio on one side?
1: <laughs> I actually think they beat San Antonio, so freezing cold takes. Once this comes out, if I'm wrong, you could uh, you could use this episode.
0: Well, it also depends who plays, I guess. Uh, That's true. We'll we probably as we're recording, we will find out who's making the trip um, to San Antonio. Obviously, Victor Oladipo. Who knows, Jimmy Butler? Who knows? After he missed the last couple of games. Um, but, as you mentioned, that Brooklyn game, that the, the Houston, I actually didn't see the Houston game last night. I was covering the Panthers, but, you know, it seemed like they just beat down a, a terrible team. And I know they were missing a lot of guys, but that was the kind of game you can't afford to drop if you're trying to stay out of that play-in. But the Brooklyn game, I, I think, is where we have to start is, I don't know, like, it's kind of weird that the two high points of this Heat season, or the two most thrilling moments of this Heat season, I think have both come against Brooklyn, right? Can think of way back to, I guess, January when Bam had his monster yeah. game against Brooklyn and they lost, uh, they missed, like, a, a potential game-tying shot in that game, I think, right? And then, um, obviously, on Sunday, Bam goes into takeover mode at the end of the game, um, both offensively and defensively. Obviously, the, the buzzer beater, uh, that's... Probably the – I guess it's not the signature moment of his career. The signature moment of his career is a block on Tatum. But definitely the signature offensive moment of his career so far. Coming, obviously, Brooklyn shorthanded too. Kevin Durant got hurt in the game. James Harden didn't play. Heat were missing Jimmy and and Victor Oladipo. But that was another one that, you know, if if they lose that and then you're under 500 this late in the season – who knows where it goes from there? Your, things are spiraling. Obviously, a lot of injuries. Um, but he comes through, delivers that shot. But it was, I, you know, it's, Heat fans know all about how great of a two-way guy Bam is. Right away, the talk, you know, the, the talk in the initial minutes was the, the game winner. But obviously, really quickly, the conversation pivoted to his all-around play. And there was that stat that ESPN stats and info had after the game that Kyrie was 0 for 8. Uh, when Bam was the primary defender against him on Sunday. He basically, I think, locked him down on, on two of the last three possessions. Uh, he shut out the Nets for basically the last two minutes of that game to come back and win. Big picture thoughts, um, is that the best game you've seen uh, Bam play or the, the biggest moment, do you agree with that at least?
1: Biggest moment, I would say, well, got the block all-
0: the, most, yeah, i was the gonna say most impressive offensive yes. thing he's done.
1: Yeah, and I, not maybe the, that
0: entire first Brooklyn game.
1: Yeah, exactly. Not for, not for the entire game because he was. I mean, he was good, you know. But he had the seven turnovers. Um, I think he scored. Um, I think less than twenty points actually. No, Twenty-one points. So he scored over twenty with that shot. Um, so he was really good offensively, but defensively, like you said, uh, you know, I, the game winner gets most of the attention. But my God, I mean, he needs to finish in the top three. Um, the defensive player of the year voting. At, I I think like I, he'd have a good defense. You see it like there's no way to really exploit him like in space because he can guard pretty much anybody in the league. <laughs> he was guarding Kyrie and shut yeah. him down. Oh for eight. Um, you know he's not an elite shot blocker, but he can block shots as well as we've seen. You know in big moments. Um, but yeah, that moment was especially impressive that game winning shot because, you know two two years ago we would never have imagined Bam Adebayo clearing out the court for an ISO, for an ISO, you know, with 10 seconds left in the clock and the game tied and him to pull up for a mid-range jumper uh, in that situation and, and make it, you know, and that's not really be surprised that he made it because he's been making those shots most of the yes. season. His, his game, while there's so many, especially recently there's been so many questions about is Bam aggressive enough? Can he be a go-to scorer? Is he taking, is he not taking enough shots? Is he passing too much? Is he too passive? Off his game has grown so much, and I think we have to keep that into perspective that he's 23. Two years ago, he didn't have the skill set, or at least he wasn't in the role to show this this you know this um this mid range shot that he's been able to use so frequently this season. Um, it, it's really impressive. Um, and yes, there is still a ways for him to go to become, I think the complete player fans want him to become at least offensively. Mm-hmm. Um, Cooper Moore had, had this really interesting stat I thought from heat.com um, that out of bam, you know, every time he on bam drives, the Heat of the Heat score 1.5 points per possession on drives that he passes out of. Um, that number drops to um, point sorry. 0.92 points per 100 possessions when he's either, you know, shooting it um drawing a foul or committing a turnover. So basically when he's when it's an isolation situation and he's getting and he's just taking it to the basket and shooting it himself and being that aggressive player everyone wants him to be, he still struggles with that somewhat. He's yeah. he's still better as a passer and making reads out of those type of actions. So um, I thought that was interesting and, and that's definitely something we'll have to improve on. But again, we have to remember how far he's come in such a short time.
0: Yeah, you mentioned being surprised, you know, thinking back two years, how shocking a, a moment like that would have been. Honestly, even in that game, because you mentioned he had 19 points before that. Like, I, I wasn't even sure if he was going to be the guy there. You know, Goron had been playing well for most of the game. Um, part of you know, and obviously just nat- you naturally think, like, the guard is going to have the ball. Point guard is going to have the ball in his hand at the end of the game or a more traditional, you know, slashing wing is going to have the ball in the end of the game. And, and I know if you even watch the replay, it looks like Goran was coming up to maybe try to get the ball, and Bam kind of waved him off. Yeah. Um, and then, as you said, like, a little drive, a little pull-up, and that is, you know, that is, when, when you talk about that stat that he's so much better when he drives to pass than when he drives to finish, part of that is, you know, just kind of the way the NBA works these days, where when you kick out, you're kicking out to a three-point shooter. Three's way more valuable than a two. Um, and the Heat obviously have some some good three point shooters to kick out to, but the other part of it is that Bam, he's a good finisher in like the like lob game, but he's like kind of overall for a guy who and he's obviously a little small for a center, um, height wise. He's still not like a great finisher, right? At this point, like he he's, he's kind of doesn't doesn't have to create you know and not. A, not all most big guys don't have super creative finishing around the basket, but you know he doesn't. He doesn't take a lot of floaters, or like he doesn't. Uh, you know he, he misses layups probably a little too frequently when he when he can't get all the way to the basket. Um, and that pull up is kind of the weapon. You know, you, you need your counters, you need your your moves, you need moves to work off of moves, and that pull up that he has the confidence in that for that to be the move that he goes to. Uh, that will go a long way in lifting that percentage up closer to where the the drive to to pass number is.
1: Yeah, and I think we have to bring up Jimmy's comment from Friday night. Yeah. Um, after the Minnesota game, um, and I, I don't I didn't take it as Jimmy calling out Bam. I I think it was he was basically trying to encourage Bam to be more aggressive. Um, it, it came in that you know probably the worst loss of the heat season in Minnesota against. Yes. League, yeah. Timberwolves. Um, yeah, they've had some bad ones, but that was – I think that topped them all. Um, I think Bam had eight shots in that game. He was seven of eight. Um, so he was really efficient, but he just didn't take that many shots. Jimmy, after the game, the full quote is, I want Bam to attack the rim because nobody can stay in front of him. Nobody can stay in front of him. Go. You're going to get fouled or you're going to dunk on somebody. That's cool. I love him shooting mid-range jump shots too, but he lets people off the hook. Play bully ball. I like bully ball. Which I, I think – I don't think more, most people would disagree with that, right? I, I think people yeah. – He's an efficient player. Like he's one of the most efficient offensive players in the league by like true shooting percentage when you take into account his his free throw percentage. Um, So more shots for Bam is probably a good thing. Um, But also, it's just I think that's like you said, like we've been talking about. He's not a complete player yet. You know, he's getting there, and I think it will come. But he's trying to find that balance of you know playing the role of basically the the hub of the Heat's offense, like, at the high post, and also one of their top scorers. And he said it after the Brooklyn game. He's like, this is – like, that game-winning moment was was different for him because he's not a pure scorer. He's not one of those natural scorers. So it's something he has to develop. Um, and he's, again, made a lot of progress, but there's still some growth he has to make. And I think yeah. that's obvious. So I, I, I don't think – again, I don't think Jimmy was um, – Criticizing Bam. I think he was just trying to say, you know, Bam, we need you to be, take a more aggressive approach. And and maybe we see Bam do that the rest of the season. Maybe we don't. But I think it's pretty clear that Bam's offensive game is, you know, trending in the right direction.
0: Yeah. I mean, you can still probably count the number of, like, great drive and score plays Bam has had, like, on two hands. Like, it's not like that's, even when he's going great offensively, he's not taking the ball from the wing, dribbling to the basket, and finishing you know he he doesn't dunk off the dribble on guys heads like that like he maybe Jimmy thinks he has that in him but we just haven't seen that and obviously there's some reason for that either he's not confident in it yet or he just can't do that with regularity yet um but yeah he's got to take more than eight shots obviously and I think part of that is just posting up smaller guys like teams obviously the way the NBA works you get smaller guys switched on to you a lot if you're a big man and and teams are going to for the most part, let the big man kind of take that because it's, again, better to give up a post up than to give up a three. Um, and that's the, you know, the, the, the great offensive centers are the guys who can totally abuse those matchups. You know, Jokic and, and Embiid, you can't put a guard on them. or That's automatic two points. And Bam's not, he's not there yet. And the question, I think, with him is, is he not there yet because he's not confident? He's not willing to try to get there? Or can he just not do that? Um, Ultimately, it kind of is semantics, because if he can't do that, then this team is what it is. If he can take advantage of mismatches and stuff like that and be a more aggressive offensive player, you know, he doesn't have to get all eight of his – he doesn't have to take 15 shots all on – drives to the basket he's, he's got to get them in a variety of ways um but he's got to get to that and do that keep doing that with relative efficiency if this team is going to go to the next level and obviously that you know jimmy knows that as well as any of us yeah it's not, it's not a mystery to the heat like it's not it's not like they are fine with bam being kind of floating in and out of games like they know that for this team to be as good as to reach its full ceiling they need bam to be incredible. The question is, how do you make that happen?
1: Yeah, and, and I also don't want to dismiss Bam's mid-range jumper because I think it is. While it's a long two, and I know that's discouraged in today's NBA, and I know that he'd encourage you know paint twos and threes. Mm-hmm. Basically, is the the shots they're looking for in the offense. Bam's mid-range has been not only has he been efficient with it. I think shooting forty-three percent on those shots this season, which up from twenty-two percent last season, which is you know big jump. Um, and he's much higher volume this season, too, on that shot. Uh, But it, it's a good counter to, you know, a lot of times, like you said, he, he's facing bigger players. Yeah. Um And the best shot sometimes isn't attacking length. It's, you know, if they're sagging off of him trying to clog the paint, you know, for the Heat's cutters and trying to take away that part of the Heat's offense when he has the ball, or they're just trying to sag off of him to, to guard against the drive against Bam, he, he's efficient enough. and He's a good enough shooter to take that. Mid range shot. So I think that's an important, um, like improvement he's made because teams are eventually going to have to guard that a little tighter. And I think that will open up maybe some more drives for him and will just op- help the spacing in the Heat's offense because, you know, maybe centers won't sag off of him as much. And if they do, he can hit that at a pretty efficient rate. So, yeah. I, you know, that while yes, you don't want to settle for that shot, if it's there, um, it's a shot that he's proven. Uh, that he can make, you know, at a, pretty much almost at fifty percent. So that's a good sign for him in the heat.
0: Yeah, and it, you know, it works as a compliment to Jimmy Butler. Where those two guys, you know, Jimmy's a good mid-range guy too, but those two guys don't really have three-point range. You, know, you don't have to guard him out there. So any little bit of spacing you can create um, helps create space for Jimmy. With those Jimmy comments, that was clear I mean, easily the most frustrated he has seemed since he has been in Miami. Um and obviously the Heat have responded with back to back wins. I think uh both impressive in their own ways. Obviously we've kinda of gone deep on the, the Brooklyn win. I don't think we have to dwell too much on the Houston game because ultimately Houston's the worst team in the league and the Heat were just missing so many guys. It was just kind of one of the it was like kind of impressive like um just like that they were able to kind of fight through all that and get a win against a team they were supposed to win, against a, a team they were supposed to beat anyway. You don't really learn that much from that kind of game.
1: I'll say, uh, I'll say this, though. I'll say this real quick. Kendrick Nunn, props to him for staying. Yeah. I mean, the guy's been yanked in and out of the rotation all season, it seems like. And, you know, in an opportunity like that with so many guys out, and he scores a season high in points, mm-hmm. makes, I don't know, 6-3. I think he's made a career high in threes uh, in that game. So, just credit to him for just staying in it mentally and and being professional through it all because that's not easy as we've seen with different guys uh, that have come through the heat.
0: Yeah, the the, two, the win against um, Houston was kind of impressive in like the mental makeup, I guess, department. But again, just doesn't yeah, I, really tell us that much about what the team is going to look like on Wednesday. I just want to shout out Kendrick. There, yeah, yeah. Not- I mean, he deserves it. He's been yeah. We've, we've talked a lot about him. He's been he's been good this year. Um, just overall though, how have you thought the team has kind of responded to those comments? What's the sense you've got, like, you know, they all obviously know what Jimmy said, and I'm sure he's saying that stuff behind closed doors too, but um, the way the team has responded with with two impressive wins is obviously a positive sign, but just from talking to guys the last few days, um, do you think they've kind of taken those words to heart, at least for the time being? You know, it's always obviously like it's easier to say you hear what he's saying than to, Actually, act on it. But just what what is kind of your been, impri- been your impressions of how the the team has responded to what Jimmy said?
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting because you know after Jimmy made those comments, he missed the next two games, so he hasn't even played. Um, yeah, and they've won without him, and they've sent the message. You know, and obviously they're not trying to send him a message, but it's it's kind of made a statement that we can you know we can do this. You know, we don't we don't necessarily. Need you to carry the load here. Like we could, we could get by while you're out, um, and they picked up the slack for him. So, um but, you know, that's a good sign. Um, but you know, other than that, they faced a shorthanded Nets team that was without James Harden, and then Kevin Durant went out in the first few minutes. Um, and then they, like you said, they faced Houston, who's the worst team in the NBA right now. Denver, Denver Minnesota. Um, so it's it's hard to really take too much out of those two games, but it's not bad. I mean, it, it would have been worse if after Jimmy all of Jimmy's comments, it would have went out and lost the next yeah. two. <laughs> it would have been even more frustrating. So um, the one one more thing I'll say on that is, Bam, after the game against Brooklyn, um, he was asked about. Actually, I asked him about Jimmy's comment about him being more aggressive, and he took that opportunity to uh, call out the media and say if we could switch the narrative that Jimmy didn't call out the team um, that. He said, Jimmy said, we, and which Jimmy did. Jimmy did say, we yeah. He included himself in, in his comments. Um, but you know, Bam, Bam made a good point and say, that's how locker room arguments start. Like you don't know how people and teammates will take those comments. If they read a headline saying Jimmy calls the team soft. Um, right. and Jimmy did not do that. Jimmy again was, I don't think he said anything that people would disagree with. You know, they yeah. were get they were getting beaten on the boards pretty well. And he called them soft and, you know, not, not being able to, uh, Playing physical enough, you know, when it comes to rebounding, and, and just saying that he doesn't know what what to expect from this team because they've been so inconsistent this year. Um, and again, that's all obvious. So it was good of Bam to kind of come out there and, and set the record straight and say, look, there is no, there are no issues here. We get what Jimmy was saying. Um, he wasn't calling out the team, and he kind of detonated that whole situation. So um, I, I think that was good on Bam. And and again, the two wins don't hurt because if again, if they were losses. I think those Jimmy comments would still be a pretty big storyline, but uh, two wins later, you know, kind of forget about
0: them. Yeah, it's kind of become like a you know it'll go. It's it's just how these things work. If the Heat had fallen apart, the storyline would be chaos in the locker room, like what the Heat falling apart. But if they turn it around there,
1: (laughs) turning point. Jimmy
0: like turning point. Jimmy calls out the team. They respond with two impressive wins and make the run for the for the four seed. But that's why I don't oh. want to make too much out of it, only
1: because again, like they've beaten two teams that good wins. They needed the, the important, very important wins. Everyone's important right now. Yeah, um, yeah. But they're playing shorthanded, a, and they're playing shorthanded teams. Um, and yes. one team was really not good at all. So, um, we'll yeah. see how they I go. On. Technically,
0: they, the the Rockets weren't that shorthanded. They're just terrible.
1: Yeah, I mean they were missing. I think five missing Sterling blocks. Brown. Yeah. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> that's a good point. But I think this road trip against, with San Antonio and Atlanta, um, that's I mean that'll be an interesting trip. Is you know San Antonio is while well, not great. I think they're five hundred. They're five hundred. Um, yeah, still a, te- a good test for the Heat on the road, especially if the Heat are still shorthanded. And then Atlanta is a team that's ahead of the Heat in the standings, so that'll be a big game.
0: Yeah, that's that's one to circle on the calendar. That's like one of the biggest games down the stretch for the Heat at this point, honestly. Yeah. yeah. Because no doubt. You, if you win that, and all of a sudden you're right in that mix for that for that four seed again. Um, the, so the, the thing that interested me about Jimmy is he came in with this reputation, obviously. We've talked about it a lot, of being this, um, you know, difficult personality, and obviously we haven't, you know, things went so well right from the jump here that we, we never kind of saw any of that really bubble through to the surface. Um, but he is you know, and, and he the way Jimmy talks is, like, you can never totally know if he's, like, joking or uh, being serious. You know, he, he makes fun of people a lot in, like, a joking manner and calls people out in a joking manner. For the most part, the Heat, like, obviously, gel with his personality to a degree. It's the Heat culture, all that, yada, yada, yada. Um, but the other thing is he has been so effusive in his praise for Bam since the day he got here. Um and really, really, him and Tyler here are kind of the two guys that he's just like, last year at least, was nonstop praise for those two guys. Obviously, they were young. He's, he saw their potential. Um, Bam, I think, is just, you know, he's he's, he's an all-star now. You know, I know he wasn't an all-star this year, but he's an all-star. Um, Tyler, we can probably, that, that might be a whole topic for a later episode. Uh, but but the way that, you know, when he, he says all this stuff about Bam, it's, again, like, he knows Bam knows all this, right? Like, it's just a matter of drilling it in his head or, you know, Jimmy being guilty to a fault. But it's not a surprise to Bam when when he is saying, when he hears Jimmy saying, like, he's got to be more aggressive, all that kind of stuff. But I don't even really know where I'm going with this point, but I I think it's, like, just when Bam gets a lot of criticism for not being aggressive throughout the year, and I, I just think it's important to remember, like, he knows he's got to be aggressive, right? I mean, part of it yeah. is maybe when Jimmy's out there, you know, finding exactly where to, to uh, you know, receive in the background, when to take over is, is a little bit more of a challenge. But, you know, I, I think part of it, you, you keep mentioning, he's 23. It's a growing process. And, and I think every moment like the one he had on Sunday is important to that growing process.
1: Yeah, and it's also the fact that Bam never came. He didn't come into this league as like a elite scorer. Like that's yeah, just not he, his game. Yeah, he's still not you know? an elite scorer. Like yeah. he's
0: great on offense because he's a great passer, um, and because he's a he's fish
1: skilled player. and he's, he's skilled learning, in
0: yeah. You know, it's about learning how to
1: the nuances. Yeah, yeah,
0: how to add to that, and we've seen. You know, it's not like he hasn't added to his game. That mid-range jump, jumper is a huge element to add to his game. Um, it's like uh, I, I just in some ways I think. The expectations are so high for him because of like the massive leap he took from uh two years ago to last season, it just wasn't realistic for him to, to, to see him taking that same kind of leap. Now the question is, has he been better has he been worse this year than he was last year? I don't know. I, I don't think so. But they need him to be at least as good as he was last year, and probably better if if Hero and Duncan and Goran are not gonna be as good. They need him to be even better if this team wants to have a chance, and I think that's the the pressure that the Heat is under right now.
1: Yeah, and uh, to, to your Bam point, I, I don't think Bam has been worse than last year. I, I think Bam has definitely been better than last yeah, year in the season because it was that everyone
0: else has been worse. Right, everyone and the like Jimmy and Bam have been worse.
1: You can make the argument maybe he's been about the same as he was in the playoffs, but he was really good in the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, his, he, that's when he started hitting the mid-range jumper, So. Um, it's kind of been a continuation for Bam, you know, from the playoffs. But, um, yeah, like I, I think Bam, I think Jimmy, you know, of course, this Heat team didn't really go through many rough patches last season, so that's one reason why we really haven't seen this out of Jimmy since he joined the Heat. Last season was pretty smooth, all things considered. Um, but you know, this season had some, had some, had some rough patches, and I, and honestly, I mean, after a lot of the bad losses, Jimmy hasn't spoken, like. He gets, yeah. he gets yeah, kind it's, of so it's upset. Different
0: if you, we only talk to Jimmy once a week, twice a week. Like in yeah. a normal world, you're talking to him after every game, basically. Right. So that was
1: one game where he, I, I didn't think he was going to talk again because it was the worst loss of the season, and this the trend this year has been after bad losses he doesn't speak. Um, but I, he obviously wanted to send a message. Um, it was, it was something he wanted to do because he came out and he spoke and he gave a really uh, strong interview. Um, So, you know, I I also think another part of it is last year he was building up, encouraging his teammates, but now he knows how good this team can be. Right. And he wants to get to the next level. So I think the tone has has changed, you know, in his messaging.
0: All right, Anthony, a couple more things to wrap up. First I want to talk about uh, my new favorite Heat player, Dwayne Dedman, um, who was awesome in the Brooklyn game. Again, I didn't watch the Houston game last night, so I don't I don't know. Uh, it seemed like he played pretty well in that game too, but um, he's like they have a big guy now. It's like strike; it re, it's a reminder that like Bam and Precious, you know, they're they're big men, right? They're power forwards slash centers, but they're not big. Like they're six nine. There's a big difference between a six nine guy and a seven foot guy or whatever Deadman is uh, listed at. Um, and they have like literally have not had a guy like that since Hassan left.
1: Yeah, no, this has been you know, I I know Deadman has a reputation of being a solid center, but I did not expect this after basically a year off and yeah. he was out of the league for the entire season until he signed him. Um, dealing with some, you know, a little bit of a knee issue. He comes in and, you know, he needed like a week to guess I guess to get in shape and learn things and they put him in against Brooklyn and I don't know if he's in a ever be out of the rotation with the way he's playing. Like, they've needed a backup center. Yeah, Precious well, he's is the having... only backup
0: center on the roster basically at this point, if you think of yeah. Precious before.
1: I mean, Precious at this point is a center only because he doesn't do anything outside the paint, but I agree, like, size-wise, he's the traditional center option for this team. I mean, Nemanja is not a center. While Precious you can make the argument he's a center, Nemanja is not a center. So, the teeth two backup center options, Nemanja and, and Precious, um, you know, they've they've struggled um, and and they haven't been able to really stabilize um, that front court, you know, when Bam's out. So Dedman has been able to do that. It's been two games, so small sample size, but just his rebounding, his screen setting, um, ability to draw fouls, score in the paint, all of that stuff. He has really good hands. Like you could tell already, like he he has really, really good hands. Mm -hmm. He can protect the rim. He's done a pretty good job at that as well. He even really – not he's not switching on the guys, but he could step out and kind of hedge uh, defensively and hold his own and get back to his guy. Um, so he, he's he been really, really encouraging. He's played like 15 minutes a game, and that's probably where he's going to stay. He's not going to play 30 minutes. That's why the Heat started Precious last mm-hmm. night uh, because they knew Precious could, you know, with Bam out, Precious was going to need to play – the starter was going to need to play big minutes. Um Devin's going to give you limited minutes, but he's played really, really well and given them what they needed. His offensive rebounding percentage – Fifteen point six percent.
0: Yeah, and That's, rebounding was a huge issue for this team. Yeah,
1: rebounding huge issue. Number uh, one in the league. He's he's second in the league behind Boban. So that tells you right there. I mean, again, it's two games, but yeah. his offensive rebounding in those two games has been elite.
0: Yeah, I mean, just having a guy of that size changes like the geometry of the court. Basically, like he gets his hands on. Like even if he doesn't get the rebound, he gets his hands on rebounds. There's a chance it gets tipped out. Um, you gotta like. Put a body on him. Like, they don't, you know, even Bam, who obviously is a post player, like, and for the most part is like working on the block or on the, in the high post. Um, like, Deadman is like, they just haven't had a guy, even, you know, Myers last year, who was just, you know, obviously Kelly's also like a seven footer, but he really like never played inside. But even Myers, who is a seven footer and was big and strong and like looks like a center there's a huge difference between him and a guy like Dedman who is just like glued to the low block at all times. Um, it, you know, maybe screws up spacing a little bit. Like, I don't know how much we're going to see him and Jimmy play together necessarily. Uh, Cause he's, and he stands in a lot of those places where Jimmy likes to get to, but he changes the way, like when you have a guy glued to the block like that, he changes the way you rebound. Cause he is in position for rebounds and they, just the way the Heat play with, you know, four out a lot, five out a lot, um, which a lot of teams do, but still, you're not in good rebounding position. And then when you're, you know, you're small all over, you're not able to win those rebounding battles. And, and Deadman can, you know, he's not going to win you a game with his, with his scoring, but he can, he's an energy guy, right? And he's just a guy that they have not had in a long time. Um, and I think the Heat clearly have known that they needed, uh, all year, basically.
1: He's he's taking a few threes too. He's over yeah, three. he's starting to
0: shoot a little bit. Yeah, I mean, he's like a career. I don't have his basketball reference up, so I don't know what his career shooting numbers are. But he's like a willing shooter, right?
1: Yeah, no. I mean, one year he shot um, he shot thirty nine. Is it? I think thirty nine percent on threes. Yeah. Sorry, thirty eight. Thirty eight percent on threes. In his career year, on three attempts a game, like that's pretty good. Um, so he has that ability, and he's taken three threes in his you know two plus games with the Heat. He hasn't made one yet, but he can take that shot if they leave him open. So um, he's not just a paint player, um, but that's where the Heat need him. And so far, that's where he's done most of his work. I think he his his home debut against the Nets. He scored um, I think 15 points on one shot. Something like that. Or, no, sorry, 10 points on one shot. He went 8 for 8 from the foul line. He was like one of the only players in history uh, to do that. So <laughs> he can draw fouls. You know, he's going to be efficient. Yeah. He's not going to play outside of his role. Um, that's exactly what the Heat need. They don't need, you know, Bam's going to play most of the minutes, obviously. He's going to play, especially in the playoffs, 35 minutes a game. They just need Dwayne Dedman to go out there and give him 10 to 15 minutes a night. Mm-hmm. Rebound, set hard screens, make layups when you're open. And that's it. And he's able to do that. So I, I would imagine that he's gonna be the Heat's backup center uh, moving forward the rest of the way. Yeah.
0: Like I said, I don't know if he's gonna play with Jimmy a lot because if you want him down in the block, like Jimmy likes to get to those spots and hit pull-ups and stuff like that. But when you, you know, the, the way the Heat run offense, where it's so much like stuff oriented on the perimeter, right, where it's like dribble handoffs and, um, you know, screening shooters open a center doesn't screw up your spacing in the same way that, like, a center would playing on a team with Damian Lillard or yeah. Luka Doncic, like a guy whose whole game is getting downhill. The Heat, other than, than Jimmy, don't, like, even the, the the when he's not, they don't have, like, a secondary option who even does that. Dragic, I guess, a little bit, but for the most part, like, and maybe Oladipo when he gets back out there, but I, I don't think Deadman screws you up offensively in the, in a way that he could, you know, some centers are just not playable in certain offenses. I, I don't think that's the case for this Heat team. And it's obvious. I mean, they've, they've taught for the last two years. They've wanted to have Bam at the four and start a center. And obviously, they're in a different spot now, but uh, they know that it's important to have a guy like that. And they've been looking, and like you said, it's two games. Who knows if it'll keep, but Obviously, uh, promising signs. And especially, I mean, the best team in the NBA right now is probably the 76ers with Joel Embiid. Like, I know Bam's going to guard him, but it doesn't hurt to have another guy to throw out there. Uh, maybe foul him a couple times or something.
1: Yeah, that, and we could get to this another time. But that Philly matchup concerns me greatly.
0: Yeah, like, I don't uh, even know if we need to worry about it uh, because yeah. he might lose well before they get there. But uh, if that is uh, that, you know, we're potentially looking at it as a second round one five one four matchup. So uh, it'll be on the radar as we get closer to the finish line. I think
1: for sure, for sure. But yeah, I, I Denman's not going to play with Bam, you know, because they yeah. both aren't three point shooters. You, you know, Spo likes to play um, shooters of Bam. We saw with Kelly and Trevor and Jay. Um, but he is going to play those non-Bam minutes, and those are important minutes because, you know, if, if the Heat are usually going to be a positive when Bam is the court in most games, mm-hmm. but they've got to at least play teams even when he's not, yeah, not playing. And yep. Dedman, Dedman and they will help. have
0: not been able to do that this year. Yeah, Dedman because will help. The second quarter has been terrible.
1: Right, yeah, the bench has been very inconsistent up and down just because of the streakiness of a lot of the – the Heat's key reserves, whether it's Seller Hero or Goran Dragic, you know, Goran Dragic um, Kendrick Nunn at times when he's off the bench, uh, they just haven't been able to find a consistent formula um, when, when it comes to their bench. It's surprising because their depth is a strength, but um, it just, it's just been so guys have been so streaky this season. Um, I had a, one question for you, David. Um, when it comes to deadman wh- what, what would you say? Do you think Deadman and Ariza will be back next season? Do you think that he would bring them both back? Um I know it's so early to say, but yeah. what would you say right now?
0: I mean it's gonna depend on the contracts, right? And if the Heat, like, you know, what happens with Bradley Beal, like, you know, they might have trades to make this offseason that could totally reshape the roster. Denman, like, you know, if he plays like this, there's no reason not to bring him back, right? Like he's not gonna get a big contract. Right. No one's gonna give him a multi year deal or anything, I don't think. Um but you know, he seems to, like, really fit a, a hole that they have right now on the roster. And, um, I don't know, like, if he fits in the system, he feels like a guy who, who makes sense to keep around. I, I like Ariza, too. Just, like, personally, I love Ariza. Um, but I think, you know, he's an older guy and who, who even knows if he'll, like, still be in the league next year. Uh, but Denman, like, he makes sense to me. as a guy who could be here again next year.
1: Yeah, I just think it's – I think those two guys have been – Ariza has been here longer, like a month already, but I think they've been some – two players he really needs, and they've been very good. Like Ariza also has been uh, very, very impressive just coming in and being able to play at that four spot. And he's gotten his – it seems like he's gotten his legs under him and he's found his shot. Um, And just defensively he's been very good. So, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, the Heat – if he'd have to run it back next season pretty much. Like if those two guys are back, it wouldn't be the worst thing because they've – those are two um, two skills, two players, the skill sets that he needs. So um, I, I just think it's uh, two very good additions for really nothing that he made in the last yeah.
0: month. All right, uh, before we wrap up here, you have a story out uh, today. I guess it'll be a couple of days old by the time uh, people listen to this episode uh, about Duncan Robinson and uh, timely because he's starting to kind of really turn a corner here. He was really good last night against. Houston, uh, what were your big takeaways from writing about him? I think it's an interesting spot he's in this year where he became sort of this, like, I don't know, one of the biggest stories in the NBA in the bubble. And really, for most of last season, he was obviously, his, his story became very well known, and then he obviously comes back this year. I think a lot of people think of him as having not the greatest follow-up, but... Obviously, his three-point percentage is, is ticking up. He's still, I think, among guys shooting at least 40% from three. I think only Steph Curry has hit more than him. Uh, so you could still very well make the case that he's the second-best shooter in the league. Uh, what were your big takeaways of kind of look, examining this, uh, I guess, technically third season for Duncan Robinson?
1: That he's definitely more confident and sure of himself on the court, but off the court. It was interesting. <laughs> Like he's still this like low key kind of like I want to hide type of guy. Like I don't want anybody to notice me. And he swears like he'll he'll swear to you that nobody notices him when he's out. Like he's six eight, you know he's pretty well known at this point. he made a finals run, play a lot a lot of games on national TV. He swears that if he goes out in Miami, nobody notices him or stops him for a photo. I spoke with his friend uh, Davis Reed, who hosts um, the Longshot podcast with him, and they've known each other since high school. He said, that's absolutely not true. Duncan is always, is noticed all the time. People stop to take pictures with him, talk to him, ask questions. But Duncan, like, just loves to kind of be modest and say, no, no, nobody notices me. Nobody really knows who I am. So I just thought that was funny and and just very Duncan-like. As far as on the court, like, this season, I thought one interesting thing he said was, yes, he went through a little bit of a slump. um, And he's like, yeah, it's, it's human nature for me. Like I could say in post game interviews, yeah, I just, you know, I got to, got to just keep taking shots. They're going to go in like water will find its level. But he's like, yeah, you know, it's human nature to have some doubt and kind of think about, um, you know, what's going on. What are the reasons for it? Like, I'm not going to lie and say that doesn't happen. But he also said that he feels like with last season under his belt, it helps him. He helps him give him some confidence and a reference point to know, okay, like this is what I do. I'm, I'm, I'm really good at this. And it also helps him to kind of realize that the Heat know that he's this good. Like he, he's, his quote was, "I built some. I think I built up some equity, at least in terms of reputation, a little bit. So even if I go don't go through stretches where it's not going in, I think there's a collective understanding within the organization that that's the anomaly, and yeah. it's not the reverse. So I think last season really helped him kind of understand how good he can be, um, and that's helped him this season, you know, through those rough through those rough times.
0: Yeah, I always think back to the preseason last year when Spo called Duncan Robinson the best shooter on the planet or one of the best shooters on the planet. And I think, you know, he, you know, we're not a college basketball town down here in South Florida. So I think people like didn't really know much about him and were like kind of like, what is Spo talking about? Um, but you know, it wasn't a surprise that he is a sharpshooter, right? Like that's the part of his game that never like. The the water finds his level, like that cliche, is right Right. with him because he's always been a great shooter. He was an incredible shooter at Michigan. That's obviously how he got to Michigan was because he was an incredible shooter at Williams College. Like, that's not the part of his game that anyone should ever worry about. Um, What made his story incredible last year is that he became uh, such a complete player so quickly, um, considering his background and uh, the story that everyone kind of knows by now, but He's uh, we talked about it last week. He's kind of like the X factor in a lot of ways for this team down the stretch. Because if he that that shooting percentage keeps ticking up, I don't know what it is at now from three, but uh, it's it's over forty percent, and it was not for a lot of the season. and That makes a huge difference for the offense.
1: Yeah, he's he shot forty nine point two percent since the trade deadline yeah. in fourteen games. Yeah, that's uh, pretty. Much. That's huge. Um, yep. with the, with him on the, he's a plus one hundred eight, a team best plus one hundred eight during that fourteen game stretch. And the Heat has also scored 119 points per 100 possessions with him on the court. When he's off the court, they're scoring 97.6 points per 100 possessions. So, I mean, it's not surprising. We know is a huge part of the offense, even when he's not, even when the shots aren't going in. Um, but when they are going in at that clip of almost 50, percent um, the offense is just humming when he's there, providing that spacing and, and hitting those threes. So, um, he's really important to the uh, to the you know the formula, and I think he knows that. Um, but, again, it's it's about developing other aspects of his game, like you said. And he talked a little bit about that, about just trying to find counters to the way teams have been playing in this season. And he's gotten a little more comfortable with that, you know, as the, as the years gone on, as we've seen in the numbers. Yeah, clearly. You can yeah tell. the
0: numbers tell the whole story, basically, yeah. with him. He's, he's the league adjusted to him, and he's adjusting yeah. back. And we talked about it a lot in the postseason last year that I know the big threes are, are kind of out of style. It's a lot of twos now, but the way you win in the playoffs is still finding that third option. And the Heat had it last year in Goran. You still need a third option this year. Maybe it'll be Goran come playoff time, but you need as many options as you can get. And Duncan is, you know, a a realistic option to be the third, you know, the third leading scorer for this team come playoff time. Like that wouldn't be stunning, I don't think. Um, And he's just another option. And, you know, they need need as many of those guys to to be – going well come the end of the season because obviously as we said Tyler's struggled a little bit Goran's been in and out Duncan is has been really their third best offensive player for the most part this year
1: yeah and one more funny thing I thought from that story was kind of going with what we were talking about with Jimmy um Jimmy last year was really kind of just on Duncan to shoot the ball really encouraging saying he's the best shooter in the league one of the best shooters in the league one of the best shooters in the world um just trying to just trying to feed positive thoughts into his mind, um, to get him uh, more confident this year changed a little bit. As we've seen with Jimmy, Duncan was saying that if, if you hear some of the conversations he has with Jimmy, people probably would look sideways just because he's been very critical of Duncan this year, <laughs> as far as just all up your other aspects of his game. And he's, you know, Duncan's like, I, I, I get what he's saying. And I, I take it, you know, I take it positively that he just wants me to improve. Um, his quote, I think part of the quote was, uh, let's not just be complacent being a force facer who's a liability on defense, but he's he's just going to continue to hold me accountable in all aspects of my game. So um, Jimmy has been on him to become better at, you know, different things, whether it's defense or putting the ball on the floor as a passer. And I think we've seen some improvement, uh, especially in, other, in the offense event, um, as far as Duncan becoming more of a uh, complete player. While he's still a specialist, he can put the ball on the floor. He can, you know, he's gotten a better at passing. He's using more uh more cuts to score points these days when teams are overplaying him at the three-point line. So, you know, he's going to get paid this off season. We'll see yeah. if the heat are the ones to pay him, but with the way he's playing, even after that, you know, a slow start to the year, uh, he's definitely going to get a big contract on a few months.
0: Yeah. I'm going to steal a player comparison that, uh, Bill Simmons made last year and he, uh, compared him to Peja Stajakovich. And as like the world's biggest Peja fan, I like still have dreams of Duncan one day, just looking like that basically. Um, but I think we can uh, finish up there. Uh, we're running a little long. So uh, thanks, as always, for listening. You can follow Anthony on Twitter at Anthony_Chang. underscore Chang. Be sure to check out his story on Duncan. Uh, you got anything else in the in the pipe?
1: I might, but Duncan is the one for now. Everyone check that out. Check Subscribe, it out. you know, support the Miami Herald and all of our uh, coverage, whether it's sports, news, uh, restaurant options, and different different things happening around Miami. Just support us and – and uh, read our content.
0: You can follow me on Twitter at DBWilson2. I'm uh, mostly on Panthers these days, but obviously uh, keeping up with the heat, trying to check out as many games as I can. Uh, busy time of the sports calendar. NFL draft coming up, so, yeah, lots of good reasons to subscribe for the to the Herald uh, and be sure to uh, keep listening to our podcast, rate, review, all that fun stuff. Um, but until next week, uh, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you then.